You're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 485. My name is Dave, joined as always by my co-host Wayne as we continue our journey with the Prime Video series, The Peripheral. It is the day after Halloween. Uh, as I was saying to you before we started recording, apparently uh, Hell Night, or I don't know. I just learned that from Paper Girls. Yeah, I, I don't know. I always that. knew it was All Saints Day. but yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's probably the more uh, appropriate title. But, uh, and you know, of course, that uh, makes me think of Warrior Nun, which uh, we'll talk about at another time. Um, but, yeah, it was a lot of fun having Michael on last yeah, week. Yeah, it was and, great. And we certainly got some positive feedback from the listening base about his appearance. And uh, I'm sure it won't be the last time he appears on Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. We'll figure out another way to get him back on. Sure. You know, we, we've got uh, a lot to talk about. I I sat down and watched the third episode, took notes, which I generally take notes first. I know you watch it through first and then take notes a second time. And then I went back and rewatched episodes one and two. So I feel like I've got a better handle on what's going on right. now that I've seen episodes one and two three times. Yes. And I, episode three twice. Right. I, I went back and second time I watched episode three, I, wa- I just watched episode two. Um, I'm impre- Did you do that in one sitting, Dave? Uh, no, I, I oh, broke okay. it up. I was like, man, that's yeah. – I'd be very impressed. So, um, But yeah, like it definitely um, – Going back and, and seeing stuff the, the second time around, or the, actually the, now the third time around, I yeah I am starting to feel like I'm getting a little. But of course, you know, like in a, a really good show, right when you start thinking you know what's going on, that's the perfect time to strike, right? Yeah, you know, and it's funny because my wife uh, asked me, did I see a, a review of the Peripheral? And I said, well, no, where'd you see it? CNN? Because I did read one on CNN's website. And she says, no, Baltimore Sun. And I said, let me guess, they didn't like it. She goes, yeah, how'd you know? It's like virtually every critic that I see in a mainstream publication doesn't like it. And, you, you know, they're clearly not prepared to handle a show like this. This is not in their wheelhouse. These are not sci-fi nerds right right and well it's too hard to understand yeah it is that's the and, point <laughs> God. anyway so that that really that's, uh, that's what makes it so great that kind of drove me up a wall but you know w- without getting started on that you messaged me uh, a day or so ago did i see house of the dragon final episode and even though uh, you know, we, we didn't follow up on that. I assume you did that because you thought we could talk about it in what we're watching. Yeah. And, uh, was I correct in that? Sure. Yeah. Right. I think I actually texted you. Well, I messaged you yesterday about Dr. Who, but oh, um, that's, that's what but, it was. But House it was of the Doctor Dragon Who. Is, is also out there too. So that's, whichever one you want to talk about, I'm, I'm fine with. Well, well, let's go with Doctor Who. Okay. And, uh, you know, because there, there's certainly a lot of buzz almost the day after it aired. All right, hold on. I'm, I'm writing down on my little note card here what Dave thought about Doctor Who. Okay. Uh, okay. Put your face down and when, you're, when you reveal your opinion, I'm going to hold it up. Okay. Okay. Well, the interesting thing is that almost 24 hours after the final episode of the Jody Whitaker era aired, you know, RTD and and the publicity machine was out there with uh, Shooty and and really you know hyping up the you know the, the next incarnation of Doctor Who. I, I guess at this point I should step in. Just if you have, if you want to see, if you're a fan of Doctor Who and you inexplicably have not seen the most recent episode yet, Jodie Whittaker's final episode, then stop here or right. skip ahead. Like maybe 10 minutes or so because yeah. there's going to be spoilers. The, right. The, the spoiler alert is on. You slap the spoiler tag down. If you don't want to hear them, don't listen for a couple of minutes. All right, go. All right. Well, you know, I've only seen it once. Yes. Yeah, and I, and I won't be watching it a second time. Yep. Okay. You'll see the card and I'm holding it up. If you can see, it says Dave didn't like it. Dave did not like it. Dave didn't hate it, but Dave didn't like it. Yep. And I, I just, I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised because it, it just seemed to fall within the, you know, writing that we've 
seen during the entire Jodie Whittaker era. And well, let's I, say the Chris Chibnall era. Okay, yeah. okay. I don't want to hang this on Jodie Whittaker's oh, head. Well, good know. point. Good point. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've been pretty clear throughout the three-year let's, run. Let's put the blame solidly where it lies. Yeah. And, and you know, the, bringing in all of these former companions from the classic era and look i love tenant tenant's my favorite doctor right. so it was not a surprise well no because we knew that that was well we weren't sure but but we knew we knew he was in uh filming scenes with Catherine tate so you know how else was were they going to bring him back yeah. although we've seen you know except uh, Catherine tate was not in this one right she wasn't Correct. Okay, I just want to make because I know like they had a bunch of. Uh, you were tired uh, when you watched it, so you could have fallen asleep. But no, <laughs> right, easily. Uh, um, yeah, but but I mean, we have seen episodes where there were multiple doctors, and yes. it had nothing to do with a regeneration. Right. And so, some of those episodes are awesome. Yes, like, some absolutely. Of those are, like the best ever. It's even like one of my favorite quote quote TV movies, I guess, is the Five Doctors from way back in the day and that was great that is such an amazing episode and of course you know the more recent ones with matt smith and david Tennant and peter capaldi oh yeah yeah but you know when you talk about fan service you can go overboard and they went way overboard here i yeah. felt well i mean here's like i mean it was cool but again i would i think the the person who was the really big classic who fan would really love that now me only having seen uh you know one here one there of classic who i had no idea who any of these old companions were at all so it didn't really resonate with me to see like ace and tegan you know because like i i have that doesn't mean anything to me just like kind of seeing sylvester mccoy or peter davidson like I've only seen like a couple episodes here and there with them as a doctor. So I don't really feel that emotional kick that probably people who grew up watching the show would absolutely feel that. Yeah. And you wonder how many of them are still watching the show. And, and I, I, you know, I, I don't know. Well, but I know like, at least one who is. Okay. Well, like you said, I mean, I really had no connection to either of them. Right. And, you know, the flashes of the different doctors. Okay, fine. That's cool and all of that. But I don't know. They're just, again, it's just weak storyline. And it was almost incomprehensible storyline. Uh, yeah. I would put it to you. And I was actually talking to so Richard, the, the, who works at River Hill. He's, he, he's been a Doctor Who fan his entire life. So we talk about it a lot. I was, I was talking to, to him about it. And I was like, you know, because he hadn't seen it yet, so I didn't want to throw out any spoilers or anything. But I was like, you know, the plot was really complex and convoluted. But I just, at one point, I just said, all right, Brain, you just go sit over there. And we're going to just watch this show and enjoy it on a the, the most superficial level we can. And just enjoy the action and the interaction of the characters. Because this plot is absolutely bananas it makes zero sense whatsoever and and it, it was you know like the, the there is there's some point in doctor who where the doctors just gonna have to explain to all of us what the heck is going on but it seemed like they were doing that like a lot because the plot it just it it was it was crazy yeah well i i just think that they never really took advantage of the characters that they had and tried to humanize them in their experiences with the doctor. And, and I'll, you know, certainly Yaz is the one that, that was around the longest and clearly she had, you know, emotional connections to the doctor. Was she in love with the doctor? Well, yeah, I think that's a fair assessment to, to make, but they never really did anything with it. No. And, and it and, took them like at least a season and a half before they even start to address Yaz as like a real character. Right. Yeah. Cause they're given and, all, they were given uh, Bradley Walsh, all the lines. You know? Right. And, and again, three companions was too, too many, at Wait least too many. for me. Yeah. And okay, fine. Uh, uh, you know, when, when you had uh, Rory and, uh, 
Amy. Amy. Okay, fine. We get it. They're a married couple, but it never felt like two separate people, even though it clearly was. And and they were able to develop both of those characters independently and together. Yes. Now, you might say, well, of course, the writing was so much better. And yes, was, it was. I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. So again, we don't want to beat a dead horse here. No. Um, the last thing I want to say about Doctor Who is the other news that Disney Plus has basically acquired the rights to Doctor Who. And while the BBC is still going to produce it, distribution is apparently going to fall with Disney Plus, which if that's the case and it's only available in Disney Plus, I guess I'm done with Doctor Who. Cause no, I'm, you can't get Disney Plus, dude. Nah, there's nothing on there. I, oh, I, I, I'm not a Star Wars God. fan. Well, it's time to become one, Dave. Yeah, I guess. It's time to buck up and become a Star Wars fan. I guess, but or a uh, fan of the Marvel movies. You've been avoiding it all these years. Well, and you, I've now seen. You can't. I don't want to say I've seen most. I've seen at least half. I'd have to look at the list and see which ones right. I've. I know still, one you haven't seen yet. Which one? That's Deadpool two. Well, that's true. I have not. But <laughs> anyway, uh, but anyway, that's all I want to say about Doctor Who. If you've yeah, got any, well, I, I would just. I know. I know. It it could seem that we've been very negative, especially me. Um, and I, I, I don't want to say that I hate it cause I didn't hate it. Um, like you said, you know, did I love it? No. Did I hate it? No, I didn't hate it. Did I, is there a level at which I enjoyed it? Yes, absolutely. I, I it, even though it made no sense, I think sometimes it was fun. Like I said, just kind of go along for the ride and appreciate there's some good action, you know, Dan leaving like in not even act one, like in like page five of the script, Dan's gone. Like, seriously, that was, that was not good. That was not okay with me. I I enjoyed the old, even though I didn't understand the conflicts they had with the doctor, I could understand it on the basic level of, especially Tegan, very, being very upset with the doctor and everything. I think probably maybe she's more upset with how hot she used to be back in the eighties, but we'll, we'll leave that. Um, Overall, I think I would say I found it enjoyable, not necessarily comprehensible, um, but in the end, what we actually what we were all waiting for anyway was just the regeneration scene. That's always the big one, and we pretty much did. I knew what was coming because some a hole out there slapped it in the freaking title of their you know article post or whatever, so I couldn't avoid seeing who. Uh, you know, who she turned into, um, who Jay Whitaker turned into at the end. Um, but it was cool. And the, you know, the 60th anniversary specials are going to be cool, uh, whenever we get them. And, uh, you know, so I think like, as you said, I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it either. All right. Well, why don't we leave it there and maybe okay. we'll talk about house of the dragon next week. Sounds good. All right. Peripheral. Episode three, season one, titled Haptic Drift, written once again by Scott B. Smith, who's also the showrunner. This one was directed by Ulrich Riley, who directed a few episodes of The Walking Dead, Once Upon a Time, released on October 28th, 2022. So like we both said at the beginning of the discussion, we have a better handle on things. And, and certainly for me, one of the things I was still a little fuzzy with was exactly what a peripheral is and you know i think in episode three they really nail it down for anybody that had any doubts as to you know what we're talking about here an android host that users can connect to from another location so you know that's what the harness allows flynn to do when she travels to 2100 uh, of course one of the questions we have to ask we'll get to it later is you know, how do they come to 2032? Because we know that they do. But we know there's a Flynn peripheral. Assume there's a Burton peripheral as well, which well, I guess Alita well, we has. It. We see it. Well, we see it in in episode one and two. Well, they, we see it in, where's the one that, see, I shouldn't have watched episode two. Because they, like, uh, Sharice and Daniel are standing over the 
the the burden peripheral that Daniel knocked out that Daniel you know put the the stun gun to its head and pulled the trigger. Well, right, but now I guess what I'm getting at is we know the Flynn peripheral is kept in a box, and that's one yeah. of the greatest lines in the episode. Please tell me you don't keep me in a box when I'm not here. <laughs> so where is the Burton peripheral stored? I, it's I guess that's what it's, I'm. It's it's done. Okay, it's so okay. it was sitting there in the. Uh, well, if anything, it's in the hands of um, the the RI. Okay, so they just have the one then. And, and, well, and, yeah, you're right. You're right. I guess there could be others, right? Because they made the one. I guess they right. could make others. But. Okay, so so then we assume though that Alita is the one that had that one built. Yes. Right. Oh, correct. Okay. And then of course we find out what a polt is, <laughs> which was yeah. cool, short for poltergeist. Actually, Dave, before we get any further, there are a couple of things that just need to some some uh, housekeeping elements okay. items from before. So one. I think I got thrown off by the newspaper because I said last time that there was a wedding announcement for Tommy in there. Right. And again, I didn't stop and I should have stopped it, but I'm pretty sure it's not. But I think I know where I got thrown off because there's another obit on that page and the guy's name was Thomas something. And then there's a wedding announcement. There is a wedding announcement on that paper. I did see that. Yep. But I just saw, I didn't see the, the, the one name was Garcia. I didn't see the other name. I didn't have time to process it at least. So I think what I, I, I kind of merged the two in my brain. And so I don't think that, that it's actually Tommy's wedding announcement. Okay. Well, it should have been though. Yeah, that would be great. They should yeah. definitely should have done that. You know, yeah. the other thing is you get a D minus for geography. Uh Oh, what I say? Well, you said that there is a Clanton, Alabama. There is a town in Alabama, uh-huh. but there is no Clanton County. That is a fictional county. Oh, and okay. it takes place in North Carolina, as we oh, find out okay. in this one. And I went and double checked that. Oh, yeah, okay. it is a, a fictional place, but it's in. And also, the, the 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 reason why you failed geography is because the Blue Ridge Mountains do not extend to to Alabama. Oh, okay. Which actually, I didn't know that either. I just now we do get good news out of North Carolina today, though, right? Poor Uh, Mr. Graham's going to have to testify after all in Georgia. Oh, guess those guys don't like telling the truth under oath, but whatever. All right, well, I won't do it. Okay, so I've been sufficiently spanked about my geography knowledge. (laughs) Um, Now, the one thing I did notice on my rewatch of episodes one and two is that scene at Connor's place when he's got the TV on. And we know he's watching some kind of a nature show, but when you really listen to what they're talking about is that something is killing the bees and it's impacting agriculture. And at this point, it's really not a big deal yet. They're just kind of, uh, I don't want to say it's a throwaway story in 2032, but then once we're in 2100 with Sharice and and her bees and, and little things that she said i i think we can then continue to speculate that that this was not some nuclear holocaust but rather some sort of an environmental disaster and and you know when you couple it in with the air scrubbers so whether they are getting you know whatever kind of pollutants pandemic whatever virus or whatever out of the air you know i i think that's you know, where we're headed and how soon we get there. I mean, it, it does seem as if the actual incident happens around 2042. And I was looking in my notes and I went back to look at, uh, I found a place that has like the uh, episode scripts. So rather than have to rewatch the whole episode to find a line, oh, nice. somebody says something that indicates that, you know, this, this event happens in 2042, but Okay, I couldn't, I I couldn't find but it. I can guarantee you it's going to happen next episode. Okay. Because they call it the jackpot a number of times, and the next episode's title is The, the jackpot. jackpot. Oh, nice. Okay. So, I just looked, and it didn't have the episode title, or I didn't see it. But, oh, really? Uh, Where did I um, – I guess maybe it was IMDB. Maybe it came oh, okay. Like you know, we find a little bit of backstory on Wilf and Alita, and that was a pretty cool scene when, when we see them at the orphanage and they're about to be 
uh, well, she's about to be adopted, but she won't leave him. And they're a bonded pair. And, and you know, I, I, I know in episode one, as I've said many times, I watch with closed captioning on and it was, you know, it said Wolf, W-O-L-F. Right. And of course, it, it, you know, soon after shifted to Wilf. But we learned, you know, his name is really Wolfgang. And he's like, yeah, but I can be Wilfred. Yeah. I'm thinking like, dude, I love you. Right, right, um, right. Well, and and I, I did, because when I started writing his name down, I, I was putting down Wolf, because the first time we see him, I, I, I don't know if it's episode one or two, but, you know, she's calling him Wolf, and then everyone later is calling him Wolf, and I just assumed I misheard earlier, but yeah. I'm like, oh, I didn't, okay. But, you know, that's actually the two aspects of his personality, I guess. And the one we haven't really seen yet. We haven't necessarily seen the wolf yet. The wolf is as this is very cultured, refined outer shell that he, you know, presents to the world. As Lev has said, as you know, we we suspect that there's definitely a wolf underneath. Like, you know, I think he says something about like how Wolf's capacity has a tremendous capacity for violence or something like that. Well, yeah, and and we get that scene where Ash has apparently asked Wilf if he's ever killed anyone, and and of course Wilf is you know, puzzled why she would even ask that, and um, you know we're we're kind of dealing with the idea that as you said he he almost seems too cultured to go down that road, and 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 you know we also get that scene with Burton. And Flynn, where they're trying to figure out what to do with Corbell Pickett, you know, and and of course he wants to just neutralize him. And she's like, that's not who we are. And it's almost like, well, that's not who Wilf is. But, you know, what are we judging that on? Well, By the way he that. looks? Right. Well, no, but he, you know, like you said, like what the what he has presented to us is a person we don't really suspect as being someone who has the ability to, you know, to be super violent and to kill. But, but we don't know that. Right. We don't know. Right. Exactly. Because all we've really seen is this external appearance. You know, and everything. We have seen that he's very quick on his feet and very clever and very intelligent. So Right. And, and, and just very well-mannered, even as a child. And, and he knows how to read the room. Yeah. Even as an eight-year-old which I just found fascinating, but, but, you know, also what I'm finally able to, I, I, I guess, you know, nail down. So again, tell me if I'm wrong, hopefully this is better than my geography skills. <laughs> so we've got Lev, Wilf and Flynn now who are searching for Alita because yeah. Lev was using Alita basically to quote, steal from my world, the, the 2032 world and you know alita had you know had access to you know the research institute stub project which now that she's disappeared has kind of put a halt to whatever it is wilf uh, i'm sorry whatever it is that lev is doing in 2032 so i guess the question is what does he want in 2032 right is well, it simply information yeah or is it something else? Yeah, exactly, because we don't know. And the fact that it's a stub, the fact that whatever happens in, I mean, because whenever they interact with something in the past, it creates a stub, and it doesn't affect their world, their actual, you know, reality. So what are they doing? What do they want with these stubs that have no impact on, on their world? Right, because on the one hand, we've watched enough time travel science fiction to consider that, all right, we know that something catastrophic has happened in the future. They're going back in the past to try to prevent that from happening. All right, fine. But I don't get the sense that Lev is that guy that's going back there to try to prevent something from happening. But, the, but that's the thing. There's nothing they can prevent, right? Because whenever well, they, they try to, whenever they interact with the past, it creates a stub. Well, that's so true. So their future won't change. They're only changing the futures of these alternate realities. So what do they want back there? You're right. I mean, but <laughs> so then how many stubs are there, I, I guess? Probably or do a they, lot. 
or it do seems they like just they have a pretty free hand in interfering with the past, you know? Or do they keep going back to the same stub? And true. On the other hand, we haven't really seen any indication of how they get back to to the past. Well, we we did because uh, Daniel talks to Corbell through the video game, right? Well, that's true. But and, outside and, of that, um, uh, Wilf is able to sp- through the machinery in the the three D print shop. He's able to communicate with um, with Flynn. All right. So so again, we're not talking any physical travel between right, timelines. No. Okay. But and they can control the lottery. Okay. Right. Exactly. Well, not not that they can control it. They just know what the numbers. He, they know what numbers to bet on. So, did they Do tell they? their stupid? Well, Do I don't they? know that. How else? Because it's oh, because it's well, and then how does Lucas? Okay, I got you. Then get the the right ticket, and also it's a stub. So, like, you well, know, yeah, yeah, true, good point. All right, just so, another thing to confuse us. Right. Um, <laughs> well, I think it's also a thing. Like, all right, listen, you've got plenty of shit to think about in this show. Don't worry about how we work the lottery. Just right, right, <laughs> just accept that it happened. Move on. There's way more confusing things in here. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Exactly. Is it fair to consider the possibility that Alita, by her actions, wants to shut down the research institute for some reason? Right? I mean, she you know, gets that, that woman's eyeball, Marielle, who was the assistant security manager at the research Institute and to use her eyeball to get in there. So, so what is she trying to do? Um, again, nothing else makes sense. Bring it down somehow. Uh, You know, when when we see Sharice, when she's talking to, I think she's talking to Daniel, it can't be that hard to kill one girl. Now, is she referring to Alita or Flynn? Ah, I'm that's thinking a, she's referring to Alita. I felt like she was talking about Flynn, but you're right. I mean, she could totally be talking about either one. Yeah, I don't know. And, and, and she even says, Sharice, that is that the stub presents unique challenges. And I'm wondering, well, why? If you know it exists, what's what's the problem? Can you not get back to the stub? Well, obviously you can because Daniel goes back there, right? Through the video game. Yeah, yeah, like digitally he goes back there. Well, well, but we just said nobody's going back physically. Right, correct. So I'm not sure. that's impossible. Yeah, so we're led to believe. Whereas, you know, quantum whatever they call it, it's totally possible, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Well, you know, we got a couple different storylines. Obviously the one surrounding Sharice's continued search for alita and you know of course daniel you know poor daniel uh, boy when they when they referred to her as the queen Are we call bee, him poor i don't know about okay that, all right. i don't know if i feel a ton of sympathy for daniel well no except when you've got a boss like sharice uh no. that uh boy you know fred mentions in his his feedback that this uh God, now I can't remember what word he uses, but but basically is is that uh, so many characters are being threatened. I think he says, and, and you know, certainly she has a little less than veiled threats to Daniel. But that that whole idea that she's trying to find out who's funding Alita, and we hear that term once again, a klept. And we talked about it last time, and, and it, it does seem to have something to do with the family that adopts Alita and Wilf. But, you know, beyond that, it, and it doesn't seem with what we know that that's, you know, necessarily, you know, what, what's happening here. But, but the other thing with the bees, and, and Grace works at the Research Institute and she works in the stub division. So whatever she's doing back there, uh, you know, we're not sure exactly. But, you know, the whole thing about the bees, I'm, I'm wondering whether it's anything to do with using the bees as a delivery system. Now, maybe that's me going back to, I believe it's the first X-Files movie. Uh-huh. 
And I don't know if you saw that or it was so long ago. Uh, you, you I, actually, did. I think I did see it, but you're right. I have no memory whatsoever. But they're using bees or the idea, you know, to spread a virus. Uh-huh. So in 2100, well, the virus is already come and gone, apparently, in, in 2100. She, she there was a, a, a number of, I can't remember what she called them. I, I feel like she said something like extinction events or something like that. But Yeah, right, right, right. And, and having something to do with the bees and we learn that Grace is bringing data back from the stub so that, quote, it may save us all one day. So that's, you know, when we get back to why they're going back to 2032 and, and you know, I'd mention you know, whether it's to prevent some sort of a future catastrophe from occurring, you know, more than likely they're just looking for some information. But again, for what reason? I mean, Sharice doesn't seem like the type that cares about you know an altruistic approach towards mankind now maybe she's taking the hard line and and hey i'm all for the draconian approach when it's needed and very often it is needed and not employed so you know maybe i need to give sheree some credit maybe that she realizes you know a soft hand approach is not going to work here but again we still don't know why they're interested in going back to the stub what they hope what is back in this stub that's going to save us all so now you're talking about the bees and this is my one time i'm going to mention the w word but okay like and i know Westworld, like obviously by the time they were writing this, you know, Westworld probably was also in production. So it's not like they saw the most recent season of Westworld and said, oh, we got to put that in our show. I know that's not the case. I just can't, like when I saw those bees, man, that just triggered me like the flies in the last season of Westworld. It was just like, so it's not like icky. It's just like menacing, I guess is the word like super menacing, like all those bees just like gathering on the, 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 the window of that, that uh, greenhouse kind of thing that they're in. Um, just like in, you know, Westworld when, you know, all the flies were like coming at Caleb and like amassing on the window where he was. So it's just a very, it, it, it's, it's a really super way to create tension and creepiness in a, in an episode. Yeah, and, and we thought it was bad in Westworld when one fly flew into somebody's eyeball. That was bad. That was bad, but oh my gosh. This but, is but we but don't see thing it quite as much as that. Like, you just see the, the bees start to attack her, and they mercifully cut away. Then, yes, yes, yes. Now, Grace, you know, it admits, and again, Sharice already knew, she just wanted Grace to admit it, that she told Alita about the stub's research division because alita was in i don't know legumes it was a biodiversity yeah right uh, alita was in grains and legumes or something like that right yeah biodiversity or was that part of the biodiversity I think it's part of biodiversity. oh you're right biodiversity department right 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 okay. she says well she was curious so i told her and then it it made me consider the scene about flynn telling billy ann what's been going on uh, oh and, i didn't even make course, that connection uh, that's good dave so i guess the thing that that i find fascinating about the the scene with billy ann i mean i guess we could jump uh, jump ahead to that for a second is it the thing one of the things i love about flynn and there are so many things to love about her is that she just tells people the truth right. no matter how absurd it sounds and Billy Ann doesn't seem phased by what it is she's telling her. So on, on the one hand, should we be suspicious of Billy Ann, that Billy Ann's not who she appears to be? Mm. No, I don't think that's would, the case. I would, I would feel very betrayed if that turns out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and Billy Ann seems to be, I, I don't want to say Flynn's conscience, but sometimes she, she's, you know, that, that, friend that says well did you consider this because one of the things they talk about is 
the future people, you know, you know, Lev and, 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 and Wilf and, and those guys, their reluctance to really tell her anything about what happens to her in the future. And on the one hand, we might say, well, it's because they don't know because, you know, but they probably do know. So the question right. is, why aren't they telling her? But I, again, I just find it fascinating that she believes everything Flynn, Flynn tells her. I guess we don't need to necessarily care that Burton buying the 3D print shop is going to draw attention to them. You know, because obviously, oh gosh, what's the cop's name? Billy? Uh, no. Tommy. I mean, he's suspicious about a lot of things. I don't think he's necessarily suspicious about Burton and what's going on out at their compound. Although he sees all those trucks there and doesn't see any of them around when he says, oh, you know, did, did Didi and I do something, you know, to upset right. you guys? Is that just his quick thinking? That's just being passive aggressive, I think. Okay. So does he really suspect? something's going on clearly he can't suspect what's actually going on no but he he thinks something's going on and and you know okay. what if you're the sheriff and i don't know if he knows that these guys have haptics on him or anything but i mean you have uh, a bunch of guys who are war veterans who i don't know if i mean we haven't seen jobs really but that doesn't mean they don't have jobs but you know like you know, sure. these guys hang around together and everything. Like, I mean, you might just be a little wary of this group, even though it's a group of people that you grew up with. Well, that might make you even more wary of them because you really know what they're like and everything. So I feel there's at least some low level of suspicion there. Um, and he's just trying to play the kind of folksy cop. And whenever someone does okay. that, you know, like it's like kind of like when Columbo would play dumb, you know, like okay. he's just setting you up. I mean, he's got the bullet. He's got the the two cloaked SUVs, which he talks to Burton about. So, you know, th there are things happening in his town that are starting to get his attention. But but like you said, I'm not sure it's enough yet to, you know, to cause him, you know, much more concern. But, you know, you mentioned the haptics and, and what these guys do for a job. Burton mentioned earlier that he's on Social Security. So whether that's, you know, a result of having served in the war, whatever the war was, and, you know, where, wherever it was, um, and that his crew, they're all on Social Security as well. And that's, you know, apparently provides them enough money to live in the town in which they live, which doesn't look like it probably costs a, a whole right. lot to live there. Sure. So. I, I guess that's what I'm thinking, that they don't really necessarily need jobs, that they're just going to hang out. And, you know, I, I guess it's good that they – and now I guess you could say that, well, all they do is hang around and drink beer. And it's like, well, okay. But, you know, they all seem to be functioning pretty pretty well. So. Right. Enough that they can recognize Connor as not functioning, you know. Oh, right. Sure, sure, sure. We talked briefly about the the scene at the orphanage when we, we see the Wests go and they're planning to adopt 10-year-old Alita. And they mentioned that they're just doing their part in their involvement in the Reformation. So, you know, judging by, you know, you know the age, you know, she's 10 and, and I would guess the Alita in 2100 has got to be like 30 Right. right. So, Seems, so, yeah, yeah. so what is this like 2080? Uh, what's the reformation? I mean, I mean, it, it seems like in a lot of these catastrophic scenarios, there's always a period of darkness before mankind is able to rebuild and, and get back to where he was or she was. And, and they were, you know, so, so I'm not sure what the reformation is, really i mean clearly it's linked to the jackpot somehow which again the the fact that the jackpot seems to be linked to this catastrophe is is and maybe it's not i guess well, maybe we'll find out i think is the catastrophe so why did did mankind need to be cleansed of you know whatever i right. mean i i it seems like I such mean, an unusual word for an apocalypse yeah. right 
Um, you know, the other thing that, I, that I'm still fuzzy, I mean, I've got a better handle on most things, but they keep talking about the fact that when Flynn was in 2100, she saw something she wasn't supposed to, or, right. you know, I think at that point she was using Burton's peripheral. Yes. But what did she see? I mean, Marielle's murder? I mean, is that what she saw? No, I, I think, well, I don't know. My theory would be when Alita grabbed her burdens, the peripherals face and held it into that laser beam that was shooting into the eye. Okay. I I, I think we were talking about that last time, right? Like, what was that? Like, was that, was the information being transferred was like, like, what is that? It, It just, so that's the, I, I suspect that whatever happened there, that's the thing that, that people are after. Or at okay. least that, that Lev and Wilf's crew is after. Um, the RI people seem they just want Flynn dead. Like they don't want whatever information she might have. They just want her dead. But I guess why? You know, I mean I mean still that's because they're the baddies, man. Okay. All right. You know, so so Lev. I don't want to say Lev and Cherise are working at cross purposes, but you know, kind of they are. I mean, Cherise seems to want to do whatever needs to be done to protect the institute. Lev wants to use the stub division of the institute to somehow get back to twenty thirty two. Does Cherise know? that Lev has been doing that? I guess you would have to think she does. She doesn't seem like somebody that doesn't really know exactly what's going on in her, you know, in, in her corporation, but you know, I don't know. But Lev's Again, not part I mean, of her corporation. Like she No, 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 I know that, but but he's using right. the stub division right, right, right. to get back to 30, well, 2032. That's, that's funny because Daniel starts to say, like he says there's a couple families, like so I thought that was peculiar, right? That he says, like, the people working against him, there's some families that are working against him. And we certainly know that Lev is from old money, right? Right. Um, and then he starts to tell her who he suspects when she cuts him off. says, no, I don't want to know what you think. I want proof, um, which I thought was kind of badass. But okay. um, so you, you get the feeling that if she'd let him speak, he'd be like, it's totally Lev Zuboff. You know that, right? You know, but uh, but we don't get to hear what he was going to say, and we never will. And you, you know, um, and, and I, I guess we're not shipping Flynn and Wilf at all. Well, the show is for sure. Yeah, I'm kidding. Yeah, which th- then leads to that that scene when she asks Burton what it feels like to link up with the haptics, and, right. and he tells her you know, be careful. It's called the merge and, and you can get lost in it. If you don't know any better, it can feel like love. And of course we know that's probably why she's even asking. Yeah. He of course has no idea. And that's of course where the title of the ep- episode haptic drift comes in. So I think it's clear that both she and Wilf are developing some feelings for each other. Well, um, I don't know if Wilf, he, he, I mean, like it's, it's a weird scene, right? Because he's saying some really like smooth things to her. Um, and she's just like, damn. Okay. But he's doing it as part of an act as well. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes the best acts are one that are True. populated by the truth. So, yeah, so um, I, we'll uh, keep an eye on that. For right, sure. what, I was about to say a very cliche uh, podcasting phrase, but we will we'll come no, back don't to that say later. <laughs> there you go. I love how they solve the riddle, right? You know, they're they're trying to track down Alita. She is where snow once fell, or where snow last fell in London. Yeah, look, and then just I don't know John about, Snow. I'm like, where fell? You're all right. I mean, the wall. I mean, is yeah. so, of, of course. So you're going to the wall. Let's okay. go to the wall. Let's right. do it. Just be careful of the White Walkers. Yeah, that's all yeah, I got to say. Yeah, just, right. Yeah, there's there's you know. the prophecy, the Song of Ice and Fire to right. be aware of. But yeah, let's yep. do this. I, I I was thinking crossover, man. I'm like, here we go. Yep. 
So they find those two dead peripheral surgeons, uh, assume the ones that did the eyeball removal. You know, they're they're likely going to be able to trace the origin of the signal. At least that's what Wilf tells her. You, you know, the last thing I wanted to bring up was the, the Corbell Pickett story. And yeah. I'm not sure, I, I mean, how much we actually need of that. I will say it was kind of cool. I mean, we could see where it was headed after he tells his little story about any time the leadership assembles in one place, you, you know, you bring in a nuclear strike to take them out. And he's like, you know, lay out those crosses and he's holding the hammer and he kicks over the bucket of nails and we're thinking, Oh my God, we know where this is headed. And, and then we see later. Yeah, because in the future, right? They show her the news story yeah. of all the right, 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 and bike. she's like, "I know who the, I know who he is. I don't need to see that." Yep, yep. Right. So, and and then the, I guess the only other thing you know that that we learn about how he and his buddies were recruited because that was one of the questions I had. Okay, I know back in the day, certainly World War II and probably even World War One, if a group of buddies went down to the recruiting office and said, hey, we all want to sign up, can we be assigned? They probably would have let them. Not in World War II. They stopped doing that no. after World War One. Oh, did they? Okay. Yeah. So, you know, but here he explains why they did it, and it makes yes. perfect sense. Right. Well, that, that's the thing. That's why every, you know, pretty much every military in the world do not allow what they used to, right, back in the day. Like you said, if you were a schoolboy in 1914 and you're up in England and all of a sudden war breaks out, let's let's go take you to the Jerry's. Come on, chums, let's all go sign up together. And they make them a, you know, put them all in the same unit. And then you get to the Battle of the Somme, and then one day uh, uh, the entire population of young men from an entire county would be wiped out. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good point. So they started saying Mentioning that maybe that's a bad idea. But in this case, you see with this small unit, um, and of course this is in the future as well, it makes perfect sense that you would have – because I was wondering that before. I'm like, how on earth did all these guys, being from the same place – well, at first I didn't think they were from the same place. I just assumed some of these guys who had served with, with Burton moved back to where Burton was just because now they had this bond between them. But it turns out that they all grew up there, right? That they were all part of, you know, already a unit before they even entered the military. Right. Which I also find interesting because we, you know, see the scene at the adoption uh, where they are a bonded pair. So, you know, a lot of parallels in this episode. But that's basically all I've got. What are we forgetting? Well, I mean, the freaking, so far, I think, coolest scene of the entire series where... Uh, Burton is talking to Corbell and he's like, all right, you want to see the stick? And he tells the story and Corbell's like, whatever. He's like, that's all you got. And then he just points at the glass and boom, his buddy freaking shoots it. And you can just see Corbell who up till now has been just like coolest guy. I'm not cool. Like, but like never out of control, always like is in control of whatever's going on. You can see he is shitting his pants right there. 200k yeah. a week sounds good, Burton. Yeah, he's like good deal. So yeah, I mean, and that's it's that's cool. Just if nothing else, to to see Corbell be not be the guy in charge, right? In you know, life. and the other thing, the, the scene at the at the pool, and they you know faked us out again when they put nudity at the. Oh, I the knew episode. it. I just knew they were just going to show yeah. some old dude's butt, and that was going to be the nudity. Yep. Right, but Damn his it. wife. His wife shows us she's not just a pretty face, as that she explains to him all his options. And look, you don't get to be where Corbell Pickett is by being stupid. No, you get it by freaking crucifying, well, killing and then and then crucifying oh, a biker gang. Okay, okay, but then you know it, it's funny because as horrific as that is, if you ask most of the townspeople. You know, do you support what happened back in the day? They'd say, "Well, yeah, our town's safer. Our town is this. Sure. We're we're doing." So we get that, but I think she understands that that was then. This is now. You can't do that now. And then the other thing I thought that was fascinating about that story is we see his drug operation. And it's like, OMG! Yeah, like I I actually wrote in my notes like Gus Fring would 
freaking pass out. Give his give his left, you know what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and I guess we also understand that they're manufacturing more than just mind altering drugs here. They're manufacturing like pharmaceuticals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That that people need for for healthcare and yep. and. Again, as we said before, it begs the question, you know, have we gotten to a the point in society where drugs are just so expensive, the drug companies are so out of control that average people can't afford? Yeah, I guess we have. Yeah. So, but, uh, but yeah, that was pretty cool as well. Yeah. Yeah, Again, I'm not sure how all that's going to play into the big picture. I think if anything the scenes with him and certainly, you know, the scene previously when he was in Havana in the computer game is that we see that that's a way for 2100 to travel to 2032 yeah. via, you know, a computer game yep. because yep. it's, you know, just via the internet. Well, I also think we see that, that there is a part for Jasper to play here. That Jasper is not the brightest bulb on the string and his wife is quick to point that out to him. But, you know, and we, we get, you know, he's kind of like, seems like he's caught between these two worlds, right? Even as a kid, he's just kind of like, you yeah. know, he, he's like under control of his uncle, right? Like he just does, like he doesn't have the will to to stand up to Corbell or anything like that. Right. He just gets swept up in everything that's going on. We don't know what's happened to his parents, why his uncle seems to have so much uh, control over him and you know who he is and what he does and you know maybe his parents are dead and the uncle's raising him we don't we don't know but you know right yeah, but i just you know i feel like he's he's got a uh, a pretty important part to to play in in this ultimately all right what else well it was a uh, you know that that great scene uh, cuz it was it was tough to watch the scene last uh episode with Connor uh, lying on the couch and just a mess because from word one, I absolutely love Connor. Like he might be my favorite character in this whole thing, you know, and when he came out of that bar to uh, back up Flynn in the parking lot and like the, you know, in episode one, it was just awesome. But to see him and see him suffering from, you know, his, Obviously, the the trauma that he's undergone, uh, not the least of which is the loss of his limbs, but also, I mean, there, you know, there's other stuff that he's dealing with that probably actually all the others, like Burton and all the other guys, are also dealing with similar trauma in their own ways, right? So it was it was really tough to see that. Really awesome to see him now showing up and like basically, hey, I heard you have a job for me. So that was that was really cool. This is TV, yeah, so get the, band, I, get the band back together. Exactly right, and like he seems to be kind of like maybe, like because uh, I think like Burton says we need like a really good staff sergeant, staff sergeant, right? Um, so you feel like he's you know some kind of like leadership uh, position, but um, you know that that's great. I, I, I assume there's going to be some kind of backsliding happening here as we see kind of struggle with his substance abuse and everything. Like he's not just going to be able to be cold turkey, quit it. I'm sure they're going to put us through all that crap before he ultimately redeems himself and becomes like this great hero. But yeah, I just love, I I love the character of Connor. He's just awesome. The actor is so super cool. Um, So that was, that was good to see. Except where Wilf's mom really, she sucked. All right. Well, why don't we get to Fred and hear what he's got for us in listener feedback this week. Hello, Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for The Fairy Feral, Season 1, Episode 3. Coming back to last week's podcast, and I'm going to talk about the church bells for the very last time. I have to admit that last podcast I started my recording at 9.40, knowing it will start at 9.45. So that was a little trick. But uh, anyhow... It always amazes me that how strong you can hear it in the podcast compared to my own recording. Do you tweak anything, Dave? Do you amplify something with your editing? Something like that. It sounds much louder to me uh, on the podcast. 
But thank you for clarifying and that you actually like it. Well, no church bells today, Wayne, because it's Saturday that I'm recording. About my grading of the last two episodes, I would give the premiere originally actually a B plus, And that was more or less because, well, there may be mysteries in a pilot or in a series as a whole. Um, but if I don't get it at all or am really confused, although it's perhaps made in a good way, it lowers my grade. So having mysteries and questions is okay, but being completely confused is not okay. So initially it was a B plus, but then after rewatching and also having seen the second episode, of course the first episode was clearer. So actually on its own it was a B plus, but after rewatching and having seen episode two, I put it up to an A minus, and the second episode was an A minus, anyhow. And I was completely amazed and uh, very nicely amazed by stumbling over Michael last podcast because uh, I have to admit, I normally first listen to your reactions uh, to my feedback. So at the end of the podcast, and so I didn't hear the announcement that Michael would be on the podcast and then you and Wayne were reacting to my feedback and then suddenly I hear the voice of Michael. So that was a nice surprise and give me good memories of listening to the Continuum podcast and the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. Okay, going into Peripheral episode 3. They should have called this episode Threaten or Threatening because if we see here the threatening of... Corbel Pickett by Flynn's brother Burton. If we see here Corbel more or less threatening his cousin Jasper. If we see Cherise Nuland and Grace with the bees. And also Cherise with Daniel opening that floor and threatening him more or less to throw him down with one move of her hand. Is she just manipulating his brain or is she really making this floor transparent? If we see more or less the android police officer threatening between air quotes Wilf and Lynn. I think the whole scene with the constable was quite strange but also interesting. So... He discovered, or she, whatever, it discovered a kind of movement algorithm where she, Flynn, is as peripheral a suspect somehow. But Wolf uh, exactly knows how he should handle this. Um, but does this android have a algorithm for people in love or something like that? He did accept Wolf's explanation and... Let them go. Another thing was, of course, very strange there, that you could have a peripheral with the appearance of your ex-girlfriend, and then you get a visitor from Canada which just uses that peripheral. Uh, this means two things. Long-distance relationships are no problem anymore, and the second one, if you like how your girlfriend looks, but you don't like her character, you just keep a peripheral with the same looks and just ask somebody else who likes you to go into that peripheral. I think I'm going to like this series more and more. <laughs> in 75 years, we still have royalty in England, I presume. Otherwise, why would this constable have a big crown on its uniform? And uh, a very comforting as the fact that London cabs still look like London cabs, although automatically driven. In the fight scene at the end, I really wondered if these peripherals have extra strength, because when Flynn was, let's say, struck down by Daniel with his uh, pressure blaster or something like that, she attacked him and she was quite strong. So I really wonder if these peripherals are extra strong or just, for instance, some of them. 
Okay, that will be all for this time. Time's up. Greetings. All the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Fred, the only editing tweak that I do is volume leveling and the the software I use is kind of, you know, the algorithm can detect somebody's voice that's maybe not quite as loud. Like, you know, last week, Michael's voice was a little lower in volume than than uh, than mine or, or, or Wayne's. So whether that amplifies the church bells, I don't know. It's not something I do deliberately. You know, we mentioned about uh, Fred's idea that that there are a lot of threats, and certainly that's for sure. You know, personally, for me, the most powerful threats were uh, Sharice. Although, as you point out, the scene between Burton uh, and Corbell at, at the at the bar uh, that was a pretty powerful threat, and and delivered so subtly. Yeah. That although I guess a sniper shot to the uh, whiskey glass wouldn't be considered subtle in some circles, no. but <laughs> that's, that's um, very far from subtle, I think. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, the other thing Fred points out is that the scene on the street. Uh, you know, when we were talking about the uh, robot cop that comes up and, and approaches Wilf and Flynn because her peripheral isn't apparently registered correctly. And Fred wonders whether the robot cop has some sort of an empathy algorithm. Right. Which I didn't think of at the time, Fred, but that kind of makes sense given this elaborate story and scenario that, that Wilf, you know, throws at it. And of course he had already told Flynn what to say and when to say it. Or so, I, I was just thinking, like, or is that police officer a peripheral? Like, is there well, a, a human being oh, actually I, controlling oh, okay. it? Right? Like, oh, okay. I hadn't thought about that till like just now. Okay. Because oh, you're right. Like, I mean, you're like Wilf goes up to me. Hey, let me let me talk to him. Let me reason with him. It's like, dude, it's a robot. <laughs> Yeah, like you, like you could never reason with a robot. What, what, what science fiction shows do you watch, right? Yeah, and it's like I had this, you know, this old girlfriend that I really liked, and you know, I even though I got a new girlfriend, I wanted her to look like my old girlfriend, and I'm thinking like, whoa, wait a minute, dude, stop. Yeah, well, you You're just picture like like a real copy, like I, I don't care, go away. I don't want to hear yeah. any more of this crap story. Right, right. <laughs> just just don't do it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then the last thing Fred mentions, and, and I, I have a vague recollection of it. He, he wonders whether there is still royalty in England in 2100 because of the emblem on the robot cops hat or headgear or whatever. Right. Um, and I, I kind of vaguely remember that. I find it hard to believe that royalty survives into 2100, particularly after the jackpot occurs. Right. So... I guess well, we'll and they're find in out. Buckingham Palace, right? Right, right. So. And it's just a place to party at this point. Right. So anyway, that's all I've got. You know, Fred, uh, you know, he mentions about his grades, but uh, I, th- I think he posted that in the Facebook group as well. So, Fred, thank you for the feedback. Yeah, I'm really digging this show. Uh, y- y- you know, it's funny. Um, I I think I mentioned to you, I don't remember if I mentioned it over the air, that we thought doing a show like Lord of the Rings would really boost our download numbers for the podcast, and it did not do that. But the early returns on the peripheral are are really positive. And again, not that, as we've said a number of times, not that that's a concern for ours. I just find it interesting that it does seem to be going that way. Well, you get nicer kickbacks and royalties well, that's true. Amazon definitely. Oh, wait, they did the uh, Lord of the Rings as yeah, well. Upgrade hey, to a, hey. you know, higher levels of groupies and stuff like that. You'd think Prime could at least kick me up to the, the premium account. Right. For, you know? Yeah. If you're listening, Jeff, you know, come on. Yeah, throw us what a bone, hell? brother. Yeah, really. So, uh, <laughs> all right, well, let's uh, leave it there. This was... Uh, a good one, as we said. That will do it, though, for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about the peripheral, anything going on in your genre world. Check out the Facebook group if you haven't already. Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us. We'll be back next week to talk about episode four of the peripheral. But until then. You know, Dave, I was just always wondering about this. And, you know, 
just going to say it. This is a question I've been having for a long time. It's really deep existential question. Does a lion look weak crouching before it pounces? 